Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll be reading verses 24 through 27. If you have that passage, please stand for the reading of God's Word. First Corinthians nine, twenty-four through twenty-seven. Paul writes this Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Father, please bless your word as it is preached in this place right now to the edification of the faith and love and hope of your church. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are uh, at part three of our Q&A sermon series this morning. This is uh, something that we do here at New Life every year where I take questions from the congregation and seek to answer them um, from the Scriptures in sermon form. And uh, we have had two of these questions uh, answered, and we're on part three here today. Let me just tell you where we have been so you kind of know where we've been and where we're going. Two weeks ago we started and the question was how should a Christian relate to digital technology? So we looked at uh, the scriptures to see what it said about our relationship with cell phones, smartphones, internet, etc. And um, with particular regard to the cultural mandate from Genesis chapter 1. And then the next Sunday, which was last Sunday, we considered this question, how does one live as a single person? to the glory of God. A lot of single people here in this congregation, so that was an appropriate question uh, to deal with. If you were not here either of those Sundays, if you're interested in those, you can go to our website and you can hear them. You can hear audio versions of those. Uh, Just let me know if you have any trouble with that, but those are on the website. Uh, Next Sunday, which will be the last part of this series, I will seek to answer this question. Does Israel have a legitimate claim to the land? A lot of promises to Israel in the Old Testament about land. How do we understand those uh, to be applied today? So we'll seek that next Sunday. And then February 17, Pastor Brian will be preaching. And then on the 24th, we'll go back to our study of David and Saul from 1 Samuel. But today, the question is this on Super Bowl Sunday. uh, What does God think of sports? Now, some of you might be thinking, you're kidding me. You're going to preach a sermon on, on sports. Is that really appropriate uh, for the worship of God's people? Well, I, I want to just make a small case that I, that I think that it is uh, appropriate that we address this just because of the, uh, the prevalence of sports in our culture. Uh, I've got a picture of the latest Sports Illustrated magazine here. You notice at the very beginning, or the very top, of the cover there, it says, does God care who wins the Super Bowl? Uh, This is a question that's often asked today because of the prevalence of Christians like Tim Tebow and 
Tony Dungy and others in NFL football has uh, caused a lot of people to ask questions about the relationship between God uh, and sports. But as you probably know, I mean, Super Bowl Sunday is almost a national holiday anymore. Uh, It's uh, something that's a a very significant calendar day for a lot of people. Uh, But, you know, you consider other things, too. Just consider the popularity of ESPN and the Big Ten Sports Network and Consider the way athletes are household names in a lot of respects. I mean, everybody knows who Peyton Manning is, uh, not just in Indiana, I, I think, certainly throughout our nation, maybe throughout the world. Um, the popularity of, of athletes is a significant phenomena in our culture. And you think about the number of uh, children that we have who are involved in athletics and the seriousness with which we take their involvement in athletics. When you consider the fact that sports worldwide is a $100 billion industry, and when you consider um, the central part that sports play uh, in all of our lives, it really makes me wonder why we don't talk more about sports and why there's really so little written about it. I was kind of surprised to find that there really aren't many books available talking about a Christian view of sports or seeking to develop uh, a theology of sports. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about here a little bit this morning. Personally, I am a a sports fan and and have been for uh, many years. My uh, dad had IU basketball on in the house almost uh, every time a game was on, so I was brought up being an IU basketball fan and have developed into a Colts fan and a Pacers fan and Really have uh, enjoyed watching Butler basketball, of course, a Ball State fan as well. Um, I, I haven't played any kind of organized sports, just uh, kind of playing for fun. Still play basketball to this day. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Um, so sports has been a pretty big part of my life. I, I will testify that I don't, there, there are a few things that are quite as rewarding as hitting a 20-foot jump shot. Um, there, there is just a, a pleasure about that that's hard to describe. And, uh, you know, just standing out in, in the front yard, I remember a good friend of mine, Frank, in, in college we would do this uh, every other day or so, just go out and throw the baseball back and forth, and it was just amazing how long we could do that. We'd just be out there for an hour throwing the ball back, not saying anything, but there's just something so rewarding about certain athletic activities. Now, it could be that you're not interested in sports at all, <clears throat> and... Uh, you don't care who wins the Super Bowl tonight. That very well could be the case, and uh, I understand that, and, and that's fine. Uh, it could be that at the end of this sermon that you might be a sports fan. I kind of hope that you'll have an increased interest in it if, if you don't already. Um, but at the very least, you will understand better the sports fan in your household or in your family or among your loved ones. So I, I hope that that's one of the values of this message. But also, I, I think... Uh, it's important to say that we believe that the Bible speaks to all of life, every aspect of life. We, we don't think that the Bible is simply reserved for giving us instruction on what to do on Sunday mornings or during our uh, devotional time or when we pray. Uh, the Bible certainly does give us direction in that regard, but the Bible addresses all of life. It is sufficient for every aspect of our life on this earth. And if the Bible did not address certain areas of life that were significant, and uh, an an ongoing concern for the human race over the centuries, I think I would question the legitimacy of the Scriptures. 
And one of the amazing things about the Bible is that it does address so many areas of life, and that includes even sports. And uh, I will admit that there's not a lot in the Bible about sports, for sure. Um, but it, as you notice, the passage I just read is clearly concerned with sports. This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians, uh, which was uh, actually our passage last week, so I'm not going to give too much uh, background here. But um, here's Paul writing these verses, and it's very obvious that Paul is thoroughly acquainted with the athletic events of his day. Uh, he seems to be a sports fan to some degree. And he mentions two sports in particular. He mentions running in verse 24, and he mentions boxing uh, in verse 26. And uh, we think that these comments might come from Paul's acquaintance with something that were called the uh, Isthmian Games. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, that has fixed the problem with the slides. Um, The Isthmian Games, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. This is a, a... a rendering, a picture of what that might have been like. I know it's kind of hard to see. But these were games that took place in Corinth, and uh, they took place uh, about every other year on the alternating years when the Olympics were not taking place. And the Isthmian Games were the most popular games of the day, uh, second only to uh, the Olympics. And we know Paul spent some time in Corinth, <coughs> and uh, uh, a kind of a fighting or boxing was one of the sports that took place there. Certainly various kinds of running games and chariot races would take place uh, at these games. And so, you know, it could be, a little bit speculative here, but it could be that Paul maybe spent some time at the Isthmian Games when he was in Corinth, uh, watching these events take place. And as he uh, became acquainted with what happened, he began to think of those things in terms of his uh, writing Holy Scripture. So um, we'll get to 1 Corinthians 9 in more detail here in just a little bit. But the first thing I want to do is try to lay out for you a, a general theology of sports. You know, can we have a theological perspective on, on sports? And what we've got to do is look at various categories that don't necessarily mention sports specifically but I think provide categories for us uh, to think about athletics and sports events. So the first thing has to do with this. It has to do with God's image. <clears throat> we can develop a theology of sports as we think about God's image. Now, as you know, I think, the Bible says we're all created in God's image, men, women, and children, all created in His image, which means that there is something about us that... Uh, communicates something about God. We picture God. We, we are images of God. Uh, we are like God in some ways. And there's a lot of discussion going on about exactly what that means. Certainly the fact that we are rational creatures is part of being made in God's image. Uh, that we're moral creatures is part of being made in God's image. That we are volitional creatures with, with a will and we make choices Uh, That's part of being made in God's image. But another aspect of being made in God's image is that we have bodies, that we are embodied creatures. Something about our embodiedness images something about God. Now, Now, don't mistake here what I'm saying. I don't mean to say that God the Father has a body. 
I believe that's what Mormon theology teaches. We, we don't believe that God the Father has a body. God the Father is spirit. Uh, but the Bible does attribute kind of physical manifestations to God, says that he you know, has eyes or an arm. And uh, what, what the Bible seems to be doing there is just simply communicating the fact that the eyes and the arms that we have tell us something about what God can do and what God is like. That just as we see, so does God see. And just as we have arms that can accomplish things, so does God have, uh, figuratively speaking, an arm by which he can take care and uh, advance his purposes. But one of the reasons this is important is because, <clears throat> speaking of the gospel, uh, the fact that we are made in God's image and that we are made as embodied creatures is what kind of prepares the way for God the Father to take on a body himself in the person of his Son uh, so that he can come into this world and live in obedience to uh, the Father for our salvation and to lay down his life for the forgiveness of our sins. So uh, there is something about our embodiedness that is the image of God. And so when you, when you watch sports and when you see um, athletes perform these remarkable achievements, I mean, when you see just a beautiful 70-yard touchdown pass and when you see a golfer hit a 75-foot putt, and, uh, when you see Usain Bolt breaking all of these world records with his speed and running, that ought to cause you to worship not to worship the athletes, <laughs> but to worship the God who made the athletes. Because there's something about the performance of those athletes and their majesty and their grace and their power and their skill. There's something about the way that is displayed in their physical bodies that tells us something about the power, grace, majesty, and glory of our God. Some of you know about the story of uh, Eric Little the movie Chariots of Fire back in 1981 told his story, a, a Scottish runner who also was a missionary. And there's this very famous uh, quote from Eric Little where he says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. So there is something about our embodiedness and, and the things that our bodies can do in an athletic way that communicates something uh, about who God is. So that's one category. God's image provides us a way to think theologically um, about sports, but also God's goodness. God's goodness provides us another category in which to think about sports. Friends, God wants you to enjoy life. Do you know that? Uh, God delights in giving good gifts to his creatures. And all throughout our lives, we see this, that he gives us so many different kinds of rich and tasty food in the way he gives us uh, so many different styles and genres of beautiful and moving music to listen to. And the way he provides the gift of sex to married couples. God is in the habit of pouring out generous gifts to his creatures and I would suggest that one of those gifts is the gift of sports and game and play. 1 Timothy six seventeen says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set their hope on God, who richly provides us 
with everything to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy his gifts. So we, we see it in the garden when God makes Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden. He makes all those trees for them. And, and do you remember in chapter 2, verse 9, it says that the trees were pleasant to the sight and that they were good for food. And then God says to them, and you know what? You can eat from any one of them except one, except one which they disobeyed God, they ate from that tree, and, and that was the fall and the entrance of sin into our world. But before that, we see God giving these great gifts, these beautiful, tasty trees, and he says, eat from all of them if you want. Because this is the way God is, delights in giving good gifts to his creatures. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it could be that our view of sports might have something to do with your view of God. You know, how, how do you view God? Do you, do you think that God is just wanting to make your life miserable? And I think there are some people that think that that's what God is primarily designed to do, to make life hard for us, to take away those things that give us joy and gladness. But that is quite the opposite of, of what he's like. He richly provides us with everything to enjoy, and certainly sport and game uh, is something that many of us enjoy and comes from the good hand of God. One last theological category, God's rest. We can think about sports and develop a theology of sports as we think about God's rest. We know that there were six days on which God created the universe, and we know that on the seventh day it says that he rested. He rested. And from that day when he rested, we develop a pattern for how you and I should live our lives, that we should work but make sure that there is a day that we set aside for rest. And we set aside for not just rest, but for refreshing activities, for, for leisure. It, it is part of your responsibility as a Christian to take seriously the gift of leisure, I was at a church planning conference uh, last year, and one of the questions they asked us pastors was this, do you guys know how to play? And there were very few hands that went up. And I just want to throw that question to you now. Do, do you know how to play? Or are you so driven by the necessity to be productive and to accomplish and to work that you can't settle down for a day and rest and do something that's actually enjoyable. God commands you to do that. And it's a good thing. It's good for your spirit. It's good for your soul to take time and, and have fun. Here's what Leland Riken says, leisure activities should be self-rewarding. We should come away from them empty-handed with nothing left to us but a memory of delight. Well, it's a temptation to look at rest time and leisure time as now here's an opportunity to get more things done. Or here is just an opportunity for me to rest so that I can be ready for work. And now that's legitimate, but I would just add something further and say I think leisure is more than just resting. I think it's part of refreshing yourself and taking time to delight yourself in something like a game or a sport or an athletic activity. This is important because God's rest um, touches on the very nature of the gospel because the Sabbath rest that we have points ultimately to a greater rest, which is the rest that we all have from our works, 
our slavish works to try to please a holy God. Uh, Jesus has freed us from that. Uh, We can rest from our works. This is what the writer to the Hebrews says. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. So rest is an important theological category, points to the gospel, (coughs) and provides a category uh, for us to think about sports. So there's three categories. A lot more could be said, but that kind of gets us started thinking theologically about this. But let's continue by thinking of some lessons that we can learn from sports. Sports has something uh, to teach us, (coughs) and we see this here in 1 Corinthians 9, because what Paul seems to be doing here is pointing to athletes and saying, Christians, be like them. That's what he's saying in these, these few verses. He's saying, look, look at the lessons you can learn. Look at the benefits of athletic activity and allow that to inspire you to spiritual growth. And there's a number of things here that uh, I, I'm going to point out to you. Three of them come from this text, and then I'm going to suggest some other things. But <clears throat> one of the lessons is this, that we should be people who are striving for victory. I mean, look at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? In other words, only one is the winner. So run that you may obtain it. Run that you might win. I mean, that's a question that, that I've had before. You know, is it really appropriate for a Christian to participate in an athletic event and, and try to make other people lose? <laughs> you know, to try to, to, to try to win the game. I mean, doesn't that seem a little self-serving? I mean, won't that hurt the other person's feelings? Uh, Paul says, look, this is what athletes do. They run to win. And that should be your attitude, Christian, in the way you pursue spiritual growth. You should seek holiness and righteousness as an athlete seeks to win a race. So no, there's nothing wrong with seeking to win. In fact, that should provide inspiration, exhortation to us as we seek growth in grace. No, we don't just let go and let God. We don't believe that we can just sit back and do nothing and grow spiritually. It doesn't work that way. Seek spiritual growth as if it's a race for a prize. So striving for victory is one lesson from sports. Exercising self-control is another lesson that we find in verse 25. Paul says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. I mean, this is one thing that is um, very important to athletes, that they have to deny themselves certain pleasures and opportunities and freedoms if they're going to become better athletes. Maybe you remember the the ad that was on TV quite often during the uh, Summer Olympics last year. And you'd see these uh, athletes, they were doing various activities, and then you'd hear these voices, and one says, "Um, I haven't had a dessert in two years. And another says, "Um, you know that best-selling book that everybody's reading? I haven't read it. Uh, I haven't watched TV since last summer. I've been busy training for the Olympics. You know, what they're saying here is I've been exercising self-control. I've been denying myself things so that I can pursue this goal. And what Paul is saying is that's the way Christians ought to be. 
I mean, can you point to anything, friends, that you've denied yourself recently in the pursuit of holiness and righteousness? I mean, I I assure you that those athletes that we're going to see on the game tonight playing in the Super Bowl have been disciplined. They're not fast and good and skilled just automatically. They've been working hard at it. And that's the case with any Olympic athlete. They exercise self-control. They deny themselves uh, in the pursuit of their craft. Well, here's something else we learn. Look to the future. Look to the future. This is something else that Paul points out. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Verse 25, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Paul's saying, here is what partially motivates an athlete. They're looking to the prize that they're going to get at the end of the competition. And in this day and age, what they would get is a wreath, and this wreath would kind of just go on top of their heads. But what Paul is saying is that that wreath is going to die and rot away in a couple of weeks. But Christians, you're competing for an imperishable wreath. You're competing for something that is not going to fade, that's undefiled, that it's imperishable. Uh, By competing, he doesn't mean that we're working for our salvation. He's just using this uh, uh, metaphor as a way to motivate. He's saying work hard with the assurance that one day you're going to look at your Savior face to face and he's going to wipe away all your tears. You're going to have a glorified, resurrected body. You're going to be living on a glorified new earth with your brothers and sisters in Christ and that your Creator and Redeemer is going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the prize that you're going to get one day, Christian. So keep your eye on that. Look ahead. Look to the future and let that motivate you to not give up, to keep seeking godliness in the same way that an athlete would do that. Well, there's other things here that I'm going to suggest. These aren't found necessarily here in 1 Corinthians 9, but some other opportunities, some other lessons we can learn from sports. You know what? When you start playing sports, there's hardly anything more humbling than playing sports. It gives an opportunity for you to grow in humility as you learn to lose Graciously, for instance, as you learn to go and shake the hand of that person who just made a fool of you on the field or the court, uh, as you accept, come to accept that there are others who are better than you, that God has the right to gift some athletes and make them faster and more skilled than you are, as we seek to set forth an example of humility in the way we play and the attitude we have, and it's one of the things that disturbs me the most about what I see in athletics is the increase in boasting and self-glorification that we seem to see among so many athletes, just talking themselves up uh, in a way that is quite contrary to what the Scriptures would command of first. Uh, or Psalm 75 says this, I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. Uh, I, I just believe it's, it's inappropriate for a Christian athlete to boast in the way that we see a lot of professional athletes uh, do now. So a lot of opportunities to cultivate an attitude of humility. But uh, another lesson we can learn from sports 
persevering through trial and through difficulty. I mean, one of the interesting and um, illuminating aspects of watching sports is to to notice the kinds of trials that athletes so often go through. You know, quarterbacks will throw a number of interceptions and teams will get into slumps where they're just losing one game after another. And uh, athletes will just make repeated mistakes and people will start asking and questioning what's wrong with this person and they'll read articles in the newspaper criticizing them. I mean, they're under intense scrutiny and pressure and criticism. And it's just fascinating to watch the drama unfold. How are these people going to react to this? How are they going to seek to overcome uh, this trial and this stress? And you know what? That's a reflection of what the Christian life is like, isn't it? I mean, we're constantly dealing with setbacks and discouragements and failures and those sins we thought we had mastered. We fall back into them again. And we have a hard time getting along with people at church and there are aspects at our job and in our families that are so discouraging. We start wondering if God loves us and if he's even paying attention to us. And we're tempted to quit. We're tempted to give up. Yet we hear in Galatians 6, it says, Do not grow weary in doing good, for you will reap if you do not give up. Paul says in Galatians. And we see in sports tremendous displays of perseverance from which we can find inspiration. Look at this quote here. This person says this, basketball player, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and I've missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. Does anybody know who said that? Michael Jordan. (laughs) You know, probably the greatest basketball player to ever walk the earth. We see how many setbacks he dealt with, how many times he failed. I mean, think of that, just everybody looking to you to make the game-winning shot. You know, we remember the ones that he made. We forget the ones that he missed. He missed 26 times. But he persevered. And through those failures, uh, became the player uh, that he was. So there's something for us there as, as Christians. You know, there's just a temptation to want to give up. But the scriptures themselves would encourage us, don't give up. We will reap if we don't give up. One last thing here, a lesson to be learned from sports is, is the hope that can sometimes come through sports. Uh, and watching athletic achievements and following uh, certain teams. Uh, do, do you know, uh, or do you remember about the, the miracle on ice? It's going back to 1980, the 1980 Winter Olympics, when uh, the United States hockey team beat the Soviets. Uh, just a, a remarkable game, something that nobody expected, a phenomenal upset. Sports Illustrated magazine chose it as the, the greatest sports moment of the 20th century. And um, I think I have a, a picture. There's the Sports Illustrated cover of the team rejoicing after they beat the Soviets. Notice there's no, there's no headline there. There's no, there's no copy. There's no words on that cover at all to tell you what's going on because they know that everybody knows what's going on, that there's no need to explain what happened. The entire nation knew what had happened. 
I mean, look at that picture. I mean, if, if you're, I just say, if you're not moved by that picture, <laughs> there's something wrong. That, 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 that is just so inspiring, these underdogs who overcame adversity to beat this team. Somebody said this was like a, like a bunch of uh, amateur football players from Canada beating the Super Bowl champion of that year. That, that was kind of the equivalent of what this was like. The Americans won this. And Al Michaels was the one commentating on the game. And as the seconds were ticking off, he was ticking down 10, 9, Eight, and as he got close to the end, he said, Do you believe in miracles? Yes, he says. He saw this as a, as a miracle. And you know what? You, you see things like this happen, and you start to get hope that, that maybe, maybe what I thought was impossible is possible. Maybe I can get out of this bad situation that I'm in. Maybe, maybe God does answer prayer. Maybe Jesus isn't in the grave, but has actually risen from the dead. Maybe these things that people are telling me can't happen, maybe they can. Because I saw the miracle on ice. Sports can do this for us. It can elicit hope in us when we're failing and when we're falling into despair. So uh, a lot of lessons to learn from sports uh, that um, commend them to us even as Christians. Well, lastly, there are some limits to sports, though, as well. We've seen the theology of sports. We've seen um, some lessons we can learn, but some limits also. Have you ever noticed how similar sporting events, in many cases, are to religious services? Have you ever noticed how, how many similarities that there are between the two? Just think of you know, a football game, since that's what's going to be on tonight. You know, what's going on? You've got a, a whole bunch of people gathered together. Uh, there's intense devotion to a team. I, I would say, in some cases, even religious devotion. The people, in some cases, are bound together by a tradition, kind of a history. People are coming because they remember what happened years ago and decades ago, and they remember all the great players in the past. So there's a tradition, a history that binds the people together. Uh, Often, people are singing songs together. I guess that doesn't happen so often in NFL games, but more in college games. People sing together. Uh, people raise their hands. That doesn't happen so often in Presbyterian churches, but in a lot of churches it does, and that happens often at sporting events. There's a certain financial commitment involved in a lot of cases. You've got to buy those tickets. In a lot of cases, people are buying season tickets, and in some cases, people just donate to their team. And very often... There is a star player who is the one guy that everybody is looking to to save the team. There, there's, like a, there's like a savior figure in the middle of it. And, and certainly for the Colts, that would have been Peyton Manning for many years. For the Pacers, it might have been Reggie Miller. But most teams have somebody 
who's being looked at as a kind of savior. <clears throat> and you know, what this tells us is that there seems to be a similarity between sports and religion. That is, sports seems to tap into a spiritual longing that we all have. We, we, we want to be part of a tight community that shares an interest and shares values. <clears throat> we want a kind of a worshipful experience. We want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And we want a hero to come and rescue us and to do something for us that we can admire and love and be devoted to. And that's why it's so easy to make an idol out of sports. Because there's such a tight connection between the two. And it's just very easy to make sports the absolute defining central element of our lives. And so I've been trying to make a defense and apologetic here for sports. I love sports, and I think it is perfectly appropriate for Christians to love sports. But, but friends, I've got to challenge you as Christians to consider whether you've been making an idol out of sports. I mean, how... How emotionally dependent are you, friends, on the success of your favorite team? And when your teams don't win, I mean, are, are, you, are you just emotionally checked out for three or four days? <laughs> you know, you, you, you might be a little too emotionally invested if that's the case. I mean, how much time do you spend in front of ESPN? How much time do you spend playing fantasy football? I mean, are, are you one of these people who is telling me that you can't memorize Scripture because you just don't have the mind for it, and yet you seem to know all these sports statistics? <laughs> Batting averages and the year that this happened and that that happened? I mean, your mind is more capable of memorizing information than you think. What, what is the frequency with which you are willing to excuse yourself from Sunday morning worship for sports activities. I'm not saying that's wrong in every case, but, I mean, is it, a, is it just a regular, ongoing pattern for you? Parents, is it more important for you to have athletic children than godly children? I mean, are you pouring more energies into developing the athletic skills of your children than to develop their biblical knowledge, spiritual sensibility? These are questions I think it's appropriate for, for all of us as, as believers to ask because, friends, there is just a limit to what sports can do for you. I don't know who you're rooting for tonight, and, you know, 49ers and, and the Ravens. Uh, I know Pastor Brian is a huge Ravens fan. Uh, I, I don't know how like devoted uh, a lot of you are to those two teams. Um, you know, this would have been a better point to make here in 2006 when when the Colts were in the Super Bowl. But you know, let, let's just pretend the Colts are in the Super Bowl, just because I know there's probably a whole lot more Colts fans here than than other teams. Uh, let's say the Colts were in the Super Bowl tonight, and, and let's say you were hoping for them to win. Here's what'll happen. Here's what would happen: they would win tonight, and you would be absolutely elated. And tomorrow, you would wake up and you'd be very excited, and you'd read all about it, and you'd talk to all your friends about it. On Tuesday, you'd be pretty happy about it as you began to think about the big game on Sunday night. 
and by Wednesday you would be pretty much done with it and pretty much forgotten about it. And the restlessness and the emptiness will start to set in and take over. And you're starting to look for next season already (laughs) because this amazing thrill only has uh, an appeal that will last a short time. It can't fill that God-shaped vacuum in your soul. And one of the best examples of that is uh, Tom Brady. Uh, Some of you probably heard this. He was interviewed on 60 Minutes several years ago. And um, that was at a, Tom Brady was 30 years old at the time. He'd won three Super Bowl rings. And uh, the interviewer there said that even he was very surprised to hear Tom Brady say this. So here's what Brady said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I think it's got to be more than this. And the interviewer then says, well, what's the answer? And Brady says, I wish I knew. This good-looking guy with all the women that he wants and all the money that he wants and all the accomplishment that he wants is saying, it's got to be more than this. That this can't be it. You know, we can say to Tom Brady, well, Tom, we, we do know. We do know what the answer is. Tom, you were created for fellowship with God. You were made to worship him and love him and glorify him, and your sin has separated you from him, but he has had mercy, and he has sent a son. He has sent Jesus into the world to live for you and to die for you and to be resurrected for you. And now if you would turn from your sins and rest in him, you would know that it is more than this that there is a hope and a joy that can outlast the few days of a Super Bowl victory. And that's the same for you this morning. Who, who, does God care who wins the Super Bowl tonight? I think it's the wrong question. He already knows who's going to win the Super Bowl tonight. But, but here's one thing I do know, what God wants for you. He, he wants for you something better than what Tom Brady has got. He wants something better for you than three Super Bowl rings. He, he wants for you an inheritance that is imperishable and unfading and undefiled. He wants for you an abundant life in the Holy Spirit. He wants for you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he offers it to you for free. So, until our Lord comes back, Let's run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you uh, delight to give us good gifts, and the greatest gift of all is the gift of your Son, a Savior for us. We praise you and thank you. Help us, Lord, to play sports well, to enjoy sports well, but most of all, to exult fully and completely in all that you've given us in your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.